0: How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Oh, hey there! How y'all doing? Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live. It's presented by The Grid. We are on Facebook, we are on YouTube, and we are on Twitter. As always, I'm Bryson Carver, and I am on cloud nine, right next to Rocky Top, as far as I'm concerned, because for the first time since 2006, my... University of Tennessee volunteers have defeated the Alabama Crimson Tide. Did it by a final score of 52-49. to 49. Oh, my goodness. This feels good. I'm telling you, I got to admit, I got to admit, I was feeling confident about this game. You know, it was getting a lot of hand for a while. But all in all, we got the W. We 6-0. We're the third-ranked team in the country. 52-49. Y'all know what it is. In the building today, we got a loaded show, no question about it, but this is my friends of all nation and for all of Neyland Stadium, for all of Knoxville, for all people who call themselves Tennessee fans, you know the words. Home sweet home to me, good old Rocky Top, Woo, Rocky Top, Tennessee. Now listen, I know that there, are some of my friends in Alabama are kind of, are sad today. And so this is for you. This is for you. Yeah, you know, I've got I know some people for Alabama fans. They're very upset, and certainly were um, on Sunday. So this is for you. This is for you. This is for 15 years of misery. Gone away. Gone away off the foot of Chase McGrath. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Hendon Hooker, Josh Heupel, The GOAT, Jalen Hyatt brew mccoy everybody jabari small the defense man this feels good i'm telling you this to me folks this is second in my life in terms of pure joy from a victory outside of my golden state warriors winning the championship this season man this feels good but we've got a packed show for you guys today. Of course, a lot of NFL talk. Going to get some some baseball predictions. We're about to have two league championship series set. We got one set, but I'll talk about all that later, because all that matters right now is that my Tennessee Volunteers beat Alabama, fifty-two to forty-nine. And for those of you that didn't watch the game, first of all, I, I want to I want to say I'm really sorry to hear that. Um, I hate that you missed one of the best college football games in decades. Certainly the greatest Vols game I've ever seen. One of the better Bama games I've seen. And they played in some classics, certainly under Nick Saban. But when it was all said and done, with 15 seconds left, after 15 years of misery, two completions, one to Keaton, one to McCoy, set up McGrath in field goal range. And here's what happened. Chase McGrath for the win for the Volunteers. From 40.
1: On the way, a knuckle ball. He got it. On
0: Rocky Top. Oh, shoot, I forgot we were doing a show. My bad, my bad. But listen, uh, what a moment, right? Vol Nation, particularly obviously the student section and moving back, all rushed the field. Uh, Let's just say the goalposts uh, had an eventful night. Uh, The goalposts uh, on the side of the field where McGrath hit the field goal, the walk-off field goal to beat Alabama, uh, was taken through the stadium, took a little tour of Knoxville, right? Knox Vegas, as we locals call it. And it was all said and done, just like they did back in the day. The goalpost ended up in the iconic Tennessee River. Next to the Vol Navy, where she will remain till all eternity, for all eternity. But what a night it was. I'll take the glasses off. I'll get a little serious now. You know, when you're a Tennessee fan, especially if you're a Tennessee football fan, because we, for the most part, have a pretty successful athletic program. Both men's and women's basketball are excellent. Baseball, softball, baseball had a great year this year. Wasn't able to get to the College World Series, but certainly building something over, over or under Coach Tony V. But uh, you know, when you when you look at just Tennessee athletics as a whole, we do pretty good. And for the longest time, Tennessee was known as a football school. I mean, you think about all the great players that have played at Tennessee. Willie Galt, Reggie White, Peyton Manning just decade and a half ago Eric Berry, great chief safety, he played at the University of Tennessee. We've produced a lot of great talent. For a while we actually held the record for the uh the most NFL draft picks in history. I think we've been surpassed since by Alabama, but you know, we may have a chance to make a comeback in that department. But when you're you when you root for Tennessee your whole life, get your heart broken a lot. You do. And for the last few years I can't say that I have, aside from the, the few games here and there. To simply put, my expectations weren't that high. Why would they be? Haven't been to an SEC championship since the college football Hall of Fame head coach Phil Fulmer led this group back in 2007. I believe we lost to Auburn that year. Haven't been back to Atlanta since. A lot of heartbreakers at the hands of Florida, Georgia, Alabama, all kinds. We had a heartbreaker last year against Ole Miss and Purdue in the in the bowl game. We've seen a lot as Tennessee fans. And in particular, this rivalry, which used to be one of the premier rivalries in college football, the third Saturday in October, Tennessee-Alabama. And Bama, since 2007, essentially since Nick Saban took over, they've never lost to the Tennessee Volunteers. And make no mistake about it, they have kicked our you-know-whats for the majority of those games. But we've had our fair share of heartbreak in regards to being that close. That close to ending the heartbreaking streak. Almost ended it early back in 2009. Need I remind my fellow fans of the University of Tennessee of Mr. Cody of the Alabama Crimson Tide who blocked not one but two potential game-winning field goals. Alabama actually went on to win their first national championship under Nick Saban that season. Need I remind you, in 2015, when the eventual Heisman Trophy winner, Derrick Henry, ran wild on us, Tennessee actually held a one-point lead with about three minutes to go. And then Derrick Henry happened, and we lost that game. Then you fast forward to just a few years ago. Streak's starting to build up here. Tennessee is on the doorstep of making it a one-score game with about seven minutes and change to go. We ran a quarterback sneak. Sneak. There was a fumble, and future Dallas Cowboy Trayvon Diggs picked it up, went 100 yards to the house to seal the deal, and we haven't come that close since until Saturday. And when you think about Tennessee, what makes it really special is not the fact that we beat Alabama, or not just how we beat Alabama in terms of the 60-minute game. It's what we built to get to the point to beat Alabama. I follow freezing cold takes on Twitter. Okay, if you don't follow freezing cold takes, they're a great follow. Basically, their job is just to bring up old sports takes that look really bad. And they're pulling up a lot of uh, of tweets from January of 2021. Folks, this is just a year and a half ago. Just a year and a half ago. January of 2021, when Josh Heupel was hired to be the new head football coach of Tennessee. After the disastrous three years, which I predicted, by the way, of all nation, of Jeremy Pruitt. NCAA scandals. You know Pruitt was fired. You had numerous players, including a Bama player, Henry To'o To'o, enter the transfer portal. It's like man, you thought it couldn't get bad for Tennessee. You couldn't couldn't get worse for Tennessee, and it is. They hire Josh Heupel, low profile UCF head coach, former quarterback at the University of Oklahoma, and he comes to Tennessee with his offensive mastermind, Hendon Hooker, who today is the Vegas favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. To start the 2021 season, he was the backup quarterback to the guy who's now the backup, Joe Milton. He took over the second game against Pittsburgh. Hasn't looked back since. In that span, since week two of the 2021 season, Hooker has thrown a grand total of three interceptions. Brew McCoy, transfer from USC. Chase McGrath, the hero, also a transfer from USC. You Talk about guys like Jalen Hyatt, who entered this season a lot of... You know, a lot of Tennessee fans viewed him as kind of like the the third or fourth best receiver on the team. He catches five touchdowns, which is a Tennessee record. Four was the record, so essentially he shattered it. He almost doubled it. Against the likes of the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, Bryce Young. Against an Alabama offense, which Tennessee's defense up until the end could not stop. But if there's one thing we know about Alabama losses, most notably, the most iconic example of this is the kick six back in 2013 in the Iron Bowl. It don't matter how much money Alabama has in that athletic program. It don't matter the five-star recruits they bring in. For whatever reason, they cannot find a kicker to save their life. And Will Reichert was another example of that. He missed the 50-yard field goal with, again, 15 seconds left. And I saw I was watching the game uh, with, with my sister, I said, this is poetic justice. 15 seconds to erase 15 years of misery at the hands of this one football team and football program. Hennon Hooker, folks, was absolutely sensational. Sensational. When you talk about what he's done to this point, is he the Heisman? Is he not? Is it him? Is it CJ Stroud? Is it, heck, is it, you know, is Bryce Young still in that discussion? Is Jameer Gibbs, the Alabama running back who had a great performance, is he in that discussion? Henn and Hooker separated himself, okay? You look at his numbers from the game against Alabama, okay? You look at his numbers, he went 21 for 30, okay? 385, five touchdowns. A QBR, keep in mind, folks, QBR is 0 to 100. It's not the same as pass rating, 0 to 100. Henn and Hooker had a QBR of 94. He was flawless. The pass rush at the end, getting to Bryce Young, forcing that long field goal, which gave Tennessee a chance. Again, folks, when you're talking about a team that has, without a doubt, the best offense in the country, six games thus far. Want to know what Tennessee's point totals are? Through the first six games of this 2022 season. 59, 34, 63, 38, 40, 52. That's what the Tennessee Volunteers Office has done thus far this season. And so when I'm looking at my Vols, sitting there as the third ranked team in the country, I personally would have put them second. I think Ohio State and Tennessee are better than Georgia. You could make a compelling argument for Michigan after the way they played against Penn State, the way they ran the football. But I'm looking at my Vols right now. I see that you got a couple games against UT Martin. Pretty tough one against Kentucky. Will Levis is going to be a first-round pick. A great quarterback. It's a ranked team. And then the big one. Georgia in Athens. It's a road game. Toughest test of the season. The first test was at Pitt. We passed. The second test was to beat Florida for only the second time since 2005. We took care of that. Passed that test. The biggest test of all, without a question. Biggest test in the last two decades for Tennessee. They passed. By the way, I said they would win by three. How many did they win by? Oh, that's right. That's right. I was just checking. In Georgia in a few weeks. Tennessee beats Georgia. We head into Atlanta. And not only we head into Atlanta, but if you look at Tennessee's closing schedule after Georgia, if they're able to come out with a big win over the Bulldogs, Missouri at two and four, a solid South Carolina team at four and two, and Vanderbilt at three and four. Tennessee will run the table. And regardless, if Tennessee wins the SEC championship game, possibly a rematch against Alabama, look out for Ole Miss the way they're playing. Who knows? Folks, my balls will be headed. I never thought I'd be saying this before the season to the college football playoff, where we'll have an opportunity to win a second national title in the last two and a half decades. As a matter of fact, Tennessee, fun fact, actually won the first BCS National Championship game back in 1998. T. Martin, okay? All the great receivers we had there. Peelis Price. The great defenses we had. Philip Fulmer, head coach. It's starting to feel just a little bit like 1998, if I do say so myself. And so, to my fellow Tennessee fans out there, we did it, but the job's not finished. However, enjoy this one. Enjoy this one for a long, long time. And again, folks, for those of you that are not Tennessee fans and maybe do not understand the joy and the jubilation that comes with beating Alabama, who not only has been the standard in college football since Nick Saban took over there, but again, historically, not in the last 15 years, but historically, Tennessee's biggest rival. People are like, it's not Florida? Tennessee, Florida have only played 50-odd times. Saturday was Tennessee and Alabama's 105th matchup against one another. I think the first matchup was in, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, 1905. I think I'm correct on that. It's not Georgia. Okay? It's not even the in-state, which it's not really much of a rivalry because we pretty much own them. But it's not even the in-state SEC team in Nashville, in Vanderbilt. Now, historically, it's been Alabama. The Hall of Fame head coach Bear Bryant once talked about Tennessee. And how he measured his team's, you know, success, or he could see where the team was at by how they performed against Tennessee. That this is how far back this rivalry goes, folks. General Robert Neyland, okay, all the great coaches that we've had. And Josh Heupel, folks, is in the process of stamping himself in that group in only year two. And this goes to show you, folks, if you have the resources, which Tennessee definitely has, those that's never been an issue. If you are able to bring in a coach who's capable of great recruiting, which Josh Heupel is, and then at developing young talents. not just about bringing the talent in. Ask Jimbo Fisher. How's Jimbo Fisher doing with all those five stars at Texas AM? and m It's about developing the talent. It's about getting the most out. It is, it is about simplifying the game to the point where anybody could, could perform in that offense, or in this case in Tennessee's defense, at a high level. That's what Josh Heupel has done. And so right now, I ain't even going to lie to you. I'm not only smelling Atlanta. I smell Los Angeles. I smell college football playoff national championship game in January. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm, I'm I'm just saying January 9th, if I'm not mistaken, at SoFi Stadium, which hosted this past Super Bowl, I think there's a very good chance it will host the big orange and white. Let's go, Vols. On to the next one. Man. And I wish, folks, that I was live right now. I had to record this earlier because I got school and work, all kinds of stuff going on. So I had to get the show in this morning. But it feels good. There's no question about it. It feels good to be back on top, finally, over Alabama. If if my voice sounds compromised. Which it feels a lot better than it did yesterday, but my voice sounds compromised. Apologies. Uh, it, it 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 took its it took its toll on Saturday. Let's put it that way. I was not in attendance at Neyland Stadium, unfortunately, but uh, my my voice would have said otherwise. Okay, it was just a crazy game. Uh, I I felt like I felt like I was gonna lose my voice box every Jalen Hyatt touchdown because all of them came from I think I think the shortest Jalen Hyatt touchdown was from forty something yards out. He I know he had a seventy eight yarder. I'm sorry, the shortest Hyatt touchdown that came in the red zone with about three minutes left, which tied the game at 49. But, man, this, folks, feels good. Especially, ten, and I said on the show yesterday, uh, or I'm sorry, on Friday, and I, I uploaded it to Instagram on Saturday and Twitter, that if you want to bet this game, you know, if you're, I, I'm not a gambling man, you know, as I always say on my show, the segment I do on Friday. a betting man. We're a betting man. If you are a betting person, take Alabama and the point. Or I'm sorry, take Tennessee and the points. Nine-point spread. Vegas was basically handing you money. With that offense at home, with Neyland Stadium, which folks literally, literally, we have the scientific evidence to back it up, caused a mini earthquake in Knoxville. Neyland Stadium caused a mini earthquake in Knoxville. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's how loud it was. That's what the atmosphere was. In Alabama. i have to say to y'all, see you in Atlanta. Because it's on. It's on. Woo! I to get that off my chest. But, I gotta admit to y'all, I saw Tennessee cuz I predicted I always predict their schedule on the show regardless if they're nationally relevant or not and obviously they are now but I said this feels like a 9 and 3 team. And I had the three losses to LSU which would be 40 to 13, okay? Alabama who you saw happen on Saturday and Georgia. Um and so but also when you look at the landscape of college football right now, the playoff chase is interesting because you have two instances where you have a division A single division, forget conference, a single division that has two college football playoff contenders. The SEC East has Georgia and Tennessee, and out in the Big Ten, you've got Michigan and Ohio State in the same division. Two of those teams will not even play in their conference championship game. So what's that going to do when you have teams like UCLA, who's currently unbeaten? You've got TCU, who's unbeaten? I mean, it's, it's fascinating. It's going to be fascinating to watch that plays out. And Bama, certainly, let's not forget, Bama is not out of this. Bama still controls their own destiny uh, moving forward. They can still get to Atlanta. And if they win in Atlanta, they will absolutely, without a question, be in what we have pretty much dubbed the Alabama Invitational uh, since the college football playoff uh, was was founded in 2014. If I'm not mistaken, Bama has only missed the playoff once in that span. So, yeah, it, it it is the Alabama Invitational. So, see if we can't take Alabama's spot in that playoff. But moving to the NFL, uh, I think I think it's fitting. So let me move from Tennessee. Let me move to my man, uh, Rain Dakota Prescott. Put on my on my Dak hat. Um, so I I said on the show on Friday I was making my predictions. I said Dak plays Cowboys win if Dak doesn't play Cowboys lose. I changed that at the last second, I'm kicking myself for doing that. But I changed my I changed my pick at the last second for uh, uh, in favor of Dallas. Because I'm like, okay, I think they're going to control the clock. They're going to run the football. They're going to get a couple turnovers on defense, cashing in the red zone. That did not happen. The Philadelphia Eagles beat the Cowboys, ended their four-game winning streak 26-17. to To remain unbeaten at 6-0, and Jalen Hurts played very well. Right, goes 15 for 25, only 155 yards. We had a couple touchdowns, had a QBR 0 to 100 of 65, a passer rating of 104. Uh, he also ran uh, for 27 yards, so in total he had sub 200. But what Jalen Hurts did, control the tempo of the game. And what the Eagles' offense is doing, and what they've done so well, is, again, it's similar to kind of what I was just talking about with Josh Heupel at Tennessee. Making the offense simple, making it easy. You don't have to force Jalen Hurts, who's not a natural pocket passer, to make tough throws. And so when you look at how he played within Philadelphia's system and how he has all season, he's been excellent. Okay? These rollout passes to A.J. Brown, right? Getting the ball to to tight ends and backs. Getting himself involved in the run game. They're playing. They are doing what you should always do, especially with a young quarterback. And really with any quarterback. Play to their strengths. You play to Jalen Hurts strengths, you know, you've you've got a chance with that roster. You've got a chance to get all the way to Arizona for the Super Bowl. So when you look at this Philadelphia team with that defense, with that, you know, the way they can run the ball, the way that they can hit explosive plays in the passing game, as great as they are situationally. This to me, and I, I said it was it was between Philly and San Francisco for best team in the NFC. Folks, I'm not selling my stock on San Francisco because they're too, just they're just too good. They're too good. They're too well-coached. They're too loaded on defense. They got too many playmakers on offense. But Jimmy G, I'll get to Jimmy G a little later in the show. (laughs) He did it again, folks. He had a typical Jimmy G game. You asked Jimmy G to win it? No mas. Philadelphia, to this point, has not asked Jalen Hurts to carry them yet, which, that's a good thing. (laughs) If I'm an Eagles fan, I don't want Jalen Hurts to have to carry me. I don't want Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen to have to carry me. I want to make it as easy and as simple as I can for them. Or as easy as simple as the NFL can be, at the very least. But moving on to the Dallas Cowboys, though. You know, when you're having a discussion with somebody and you have a disagreement. Okay? And we have those. It's okay to have uh, civil discussions, which are <laughs> never present on social media. Be that as it may. We can... Disagree on something, but I can see your point. Like if you make points, I'm like, okay, I I see why this person feels this way about something. Doesn't have to be sports; can be anything. Like, okay, I kind of, I, I sort of, from their perspective, I kind of get why they see something this way. Or it could be like on on, on a second level where you're like, gosh, I I still don't, I still don't really know what what they're they're trying to get. I'm trying to understand, but I I really can't. And then there's that third level where it's like, okay, this is just stupid. What they are saying makes no sense. It's dumb. That's I am right and they are wrong, and there's no question about it. I know not a lot of people did it, but a good enough portion of people did. About how Cooper Rush should um, should stay in for Dak Prescott once Dak gets healthy. And I kept telling y'all the second. Cooper Rush is asked to win a game. We'll see how good he is. And he was pretty bad, folks. I said, we have yet to see Cooper Rush in his career trail by double digits. He trailed by four against Minnesota in his only start last year for an injured deck. He never trailed against Cincinnati. He trailed by seven against the Giants. He trailed by one point in the second quarter Against, excuse me, the Washington Commanders. He never trailed against the Rams. I said, we have yet to really know how good this guy is. I mean, do we? When he doesn't have the supportive run game, when they're asking him to throw them back into it, what you get as a result is a sub-50% completion percentage, a buck eighty-one through the air, a touchdown. Three interceptions. A QBR, 0 to one hundred of 32. And a passer rating, which by the way, those of you who don't know, highest passer rating that a quarterback can get, a perfect passer rating is 158.3. Yeah, Cooper Rush at a 37.3. He wasn't very good. Is that is that is that the guy you you want? Replace Dak Prescott? You sure about that? You sure? Because his arm is Low average. His accuracy has never really been that good. I've been trying to say that for a while. Look at his completion percentage even leading into this game. It's sub-60%. It's not It's not great. It's like Cam Newton level. Okay? He's a tad antsy in the pocket, especially under pressure. He's, he's, he's not as good at getting out of that as Dak is. And you have to cut off a certain area of your playbook for him. If he is playing within a structure... Was good. But I said after the Cowboys' first win over Cincinnati back in week two, I said that this is how the Cleveland Browns won 11 games with Baker Mayfield back in 2020. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, the defense led by Miles Garrett, let Baker work off the play action on second and third in shorts, okay? Don't put him in third and 13 situations. Don't put him in position to make a mistake because Lord knows he'll make them. Okay, don't put him in position to have to play from double digits behind. And you can win a lot of games. You can make the playoffs. Heck, you can even win a playoff game, which the Browns did that year, on the road in Pittsburgh. But the second Cleveland asked Baker to win a game, on the road in Kansas City against the Chiefs team with no Patrick Mahomes. Nope, couldn't do it. Baker's a backup. So was Cooper Rush. Now, honestly, today I'd honestly take Cooper Rush over Baker Mayfield. I'm not kidding. But the fact that people actually thought that this team could go anywhere with Cooper Rush at quarterback. The fact that people thought, hey, listen, this could be, it's like, the, you know, this is how Dak got his job, you know, in 2016 for an injured Tony Romo. Yeah, except Dak... Uh, Dak was third in the NFL in QBR behind the guy who won MVP, Matt Ryan, and the guy who finished second for MVP in Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, Dak uh, led the Cowboys to 13 wins, including an 11-game winning streak. Dak also had the best touchdown-to-interception ratio in the NFL. Yeah, Dak also went toe-to-toe, throw-for-throw with Ben Roethlisberger and Aaron Rodgers. even had a great Thanksgiving Day showdown with Kirk Cousins. I mean, Cooper Rush's best win is against Joe Burrow, who was sacked seven times. I'm, I'm sorry, six times. When he wasn't asked to go win the game for us. Go throw us back into a game. Which we've seen Dak do time and time again. But, fear not, Cowboy Nation. Help is on the way. As the great Shannon Sharp once said back in the 90s. Help is on the way because, according to multiple sources, including the main source, Dak Prescott, the plan is, in Dak's own words, that will start next week against the Detroit Lions. Now, first of all, it's a great game for Dak to start because he gets to build back his rhythm, build his confidence, play in a Detroit Lions team that has the worst scoring defense in, in the NFL, build his rhythm, and then, by the way, week after, Chicago Bears. How the Bears look, okay? Bears aren't a very good football team. And that's another home game. And then you get a bye before you go to Green Bay. So I'm, I'm seeing a lot of negativity on Cowboys social media. I'm like, why? Okay, you almost beat the undefeated Eagles with Cooper Rush at quarterback. With Cooper Rush throwing three interceptions. You still had a chance to beat the Philadelphia Eagles. Despite the Mike McCarthy special, 10 penalties. You had him on the ropes. Only trailed by three at one point early in the fourth quarter. And as C.D. Lamb said after the game, and now you get Dak back?
1: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
0: A laundry? Ooh, a book club.
1: Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No by law, 18 plus, and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Oh, it's all on Christmas Eve, Eagles fans. I'm just here to tell you that right now. But, and again, something else too for Cooper Rush. It isn't like Philadelphia took away the running game. Okay? Cowboys averaged five yards a run. Zeke was great. 13 carries for 81 six yards per carry had a tu- a great touchdown run Tony Pollard looked pretty good offensive line to me I- I've said all season the shock of the Cowboys this season for me has been the offensive line with all the injuries that they have had it seems like they built a-, a-, a level of continuity Tyler Smith has been very good Jason Peters in the limited snaps he's played has been good okay Zach Martin has has had a- another typical Zach Martin Pro Bowl level season Cooper Rush did his job. If you told me when Dak went down that the Cowboys are going to win four out of five games in Dak's absence with Cooper Rush a quarterback, who on earth wouldn't take that? Again, I compare to over and over to 2019. Drew Brees suffers the same thumb injury Dak Prescott suffered. Teddy Bridgewater steps in, 5-0. And, oh. and so Drew Brees comes back, the Saints are rolling, they're feeling good about themselves, and they pick up right where they left off. That's what the Cowboys have an opportunity to do with Dak returning next week, and so actually, I decided let's let's start a trend. We're gonna start a We're gonna start a hashtag here on on carving it up live, and see if we can't get it to trend all the way here from from beautiful Tennessee, the home of the third ranked Volunteers, all the way to Jerry World. Okay, get it on T shirts, on hats, on hoodies, on everything. You ready for this? Here we go. Return of the DAC. That's what we got. Hashtag return of the Dak. You know the song, Mark Morrison, return of the Mac. It's return of the Deck. That's what we're doing. So go and get that trending on social, okay? I'll do my best to get it going. And y'all can help me out. Help help, us help get all the way to Dallas, Texas for the return of Dak Prescott. Again, I will repeat what Shannon Sharp said back in the 90s when the Broncos were Kicking the Patriots behinds. Shannon Sharp is on the phone. Help is on the way. Help is on the way, Dallas. Don't worry. Don't you worry. Don't be too negative. Listen, Mike McCarthy is still the head coach, and there's a lot of limitations that comes with that. okay, Why he didn't challenge the CD lamb uh, uh, missed first down in the first half and decided to go for it and got stopped short. It's a typical Mike McCarthy play. It is a typical job of him being completely and utterly clueless about game situation. But that's what it's not, it's, you're not telling me anything. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. This is this is who Mike McCarthy is. So you just got to live with that. It is what it is in that department. But I thought Micah Parsons played well. Trayvon Diggs had his moments. Dorrance Armstrong, who by the way has quietly had a very good year. Played well. Leighton Vanderish had a good game. So there are still some positives to take away from this game for the Cowboys. By the way, you know, they trailed 20-3 to at halftime. A lot of teams with their backup quarterback would have given up. Dallas didn't. Speaks to the character of that locker room. And so I'll give them credit for that. I'll give credit to the leaders who stepped up. I don't know if that was Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, Ezekiel Elliott, whoever it was. Stepping up, getting this team ready to go in the second half. And they made it interesting. At the bare minimum, if you told me that when they trailed 23, hey, this game's going to be kind of interesting in the fourth quarter. Yeah, you take that. But the reality of the situation is, if Dak Press got to play last night, Dallas would have won that football game. Obviously, the turnovers would have been cut either in half or completely. Okay, he, w- he would have hit CeeDee Lamb on that deep ball in the fourth quarter. He wouldn't have made some of the bad decisions that Cooper Rush made. And I, I said, going back to the Washington game, even though Washington, they beat Washington, who's you know not very good, as we know, two and four. I said in that Washington game and then a couple times gets the Rams and then definitely yesterday. I don't love the decision making at times from Cooper Rush. But again, and the fact that I have to remind some people about this is comical. He's a backup. And like I heard some someone in an NFL, uh, the NFL pregame show on uh, on ESPN yesterday saying, oh, you got to ride with the high, hot hand. You can't ride with who's better. You got to ride with who's winning. I'm like, so you're telling me that Dak would not have won a single one of the games. That he would not have won all of those games that Cooper Rush started. Again, the Cowboys point totals with Cooper Rush. 20 against Cincinnati with two touchdowns. Two offensive touchdowns. Okay, 23-16. 23 points over the Giants with two touchdowns. Okay, 25 points against the Washington football team with two touchdowns, 22 against the Rams with one offensive touchdown and 17 against the Philadelphia Eagles with two offensive touchdowns. You asked Cooper Rush to win the game and you saw what I've seen the whole time. And it's not a shot at Cooper Rush. The dudes, what he's proven, dude's going to have a 15 year career whether it's the backup to Dak, whether it's the backup to somebody else, whether he's able to elevate himself into the the Teddy Bridgewater, low-end starter, high-end backup group. What you know about Cooper Rush is he can step in, play within the system, and he can win you some games if your starter's out. That is, folks, that is invaluable. If you have that, that that is huge. But the notion that he was ever a threat to a guy who led the best offense in the league last year. The, the no sleeves the a threat to that guy? It's crazy. It's crazy. I'm glad I got put to rest yesterday. Um, but we certainly had some good ones. Let me move on to Kansas City-Buffalo. That was, without a question, the most hype matchup of the weekend, the rematch of that just unforgettable divisional matchup can Kansas City Buffalo. By the way, at the end of the first half, when Buffalo went on that crazy 99-yard drive, uh, capped off uh, by the touchdown, I, I thought it was it was did Gabe Davis catch that touchdown. I think he did. If I'm not mistaken, I think Gabe Davis caught that touchdown pass. Did he? Yes, Gabe. Yeah, Gabe Davis caught that pass from 34 yards out uh, by Josh Allen. But I thought it was funny with 12 seconds left, the Chiefs. It was like it's like PTSD for Bills fans, for Bills mafia, but. Twelve seconds instead of thirteen seconds like last year, the Chiefs drive right into field goal range, and Harrison Butker hits a sixty-two yard field goal. Uh, so when when he hit that, I'm like, man, I'm feeling good about my Chiefs pick right now. Okay, but it was and it's crazy. Tony Romo with five minutes left in the first quarter, there was no score. He said, this feels like a twenty-four to twenty type of game. Take a guess what the final score was, folks. <laughs> so Tony Romo's a wizard. It's not like we didn't already know that already, but. Yes, the chief the bills did win this game 24 to 20 and it was simply because of the greatness of Josh Allen there's, there's no other way around it. Uh, this dude I I never seen a physical specimen who could play the quarterback position at that high of a level in my life outside of Josh Allen when you're talking about the just rocket for an arm you're talking about the pinpoint accuracy and you're talking about the athleticism. Did you see, with under two minutes to go, Josh Allen hurdling the defensive player for the Chiefs out of bounds? He had a hurdle similar to that against the Vikings in his first ever NFL start, but that was incredible on the part of Josh Allen. And so, you know, when you talk about when you talk about drafting a franchise quarterback and you talk about drafting a superstar quarterback. Man, there's a big gap. And to me, when I'm watching that game yesterday, Mahomes didn't play great. He was picked twice. Had the had the interception there at the end. But when I'm watching that game, I'm like, the fact that anybody thinks that any other quarterback in the National Football League, throw out any name you want, there is no quarterback in the National Football League better than those two guys we saw yesterday at Arrowhead Stadium. There's not. I've been saying that for a few weeks now. Aaron Rodgers isn't in that, in that group. I'm about to talk about the Bucks. Tom Brady, to me, is no longer in that group. Okay, uh, Lamar Jackson isn't—he he had not. Lamar's my guy, but you know he he had another stinker. Matt Stafford, darn train in that group. Eight picks in six games? Are you kidding me? Joe Burrow is in that group. Justin Herbert, Dak Prescott, these guys, Derek Hart, Russ Wilson, probably ain't even the top fifteen right now. Kirk Cousins, none of these guys are in the same galaxy as the two we saw in Arrowhead Stadium. The clever play calling by Andy Reid was just was through the roof. Same in Buffalo. Okay, Josh Allen hitting Stefan Diggs. Okay, hitting Gabe Davis. I mean, the, 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 again, Kevin Knox. I'm sorry, Dawson Knox. Not Kevin Knox. He plays for the Knicks. Dawson Knox, the tight end who caught his first touchdown since the tragic death of his brother this summer. Uh, what a moment for for him. And I'm sure his family. He caught the game winner with a minute left. Mahomes threw the pick with a minute left, a couple plays later. uh, But certainly it it was not exactly the, 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 and you're never going to really be able to replicate playoff intensity unless it's like a late season game, especially if it's a divisional game, which these two teams obviously are not division rivals. But the intensity, the defense stepped up a lot more in this game than it did back in January for both sides. But when people are saying, oh, this isn't the next Brady Manning, yeah, it is, yeah, it is. When when you see Bills versus Chiefs, you schedule that in your calendar. You schedule your day around watching that. You schedule your day against watching the two best in the business, just like you did with Brady and Manning. So I mean, it, it, people say, well, they you know they haven't accomplished what Brady Manning did. First of all, who has? Outside of Montana, who like who, who has accomplished as much as as Brady Manning? I'm not saying it's the equivalent. I'm saying it's the new Brady versus Manning. These two are going to square off every year, whether it be at Arrowhead, whether it be in Buffalo. And there's a good chance, especially with the Bills winning this game, we could see another matchup between these two in the postseason, this time in Buffalo, which maybe, hey, maybe the Bills' mafia is the difference this time for the Bills because the Bills' season, both times, their Super Bowl hopes have been denied the last two years at Arrowhead Stadium at the hands of the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. But if you're a Buffalo, listen, this is the game you had circled in your schedule. Don't do what you did last year, where you beat Kansas, actually you beat the breaks off Kansas City last year, Monday night football, and then you really struggled up until December. Like Buffalo was, I mean, there was there was a, a while. They were like, is Buffalo gonna make the playoffs? Like they they better not they better stop messing around here. And they, you know, they ended up getting in. And we thankfully got the classic that we got this past January on the 23rd. But, you know, just in general, when you look at where these two teams are, I don't think it's a debate. These are the two best teams in the AFC. I've I've seen it through through The first six weeks of the NFL season, this is the cream of the crop. Not just as far as quarterbacks and coaches, but just as teams as a whole. Kansas City's defense stepped up despite the last drives of the first and second halves. Kansas City offense, particularly Patrick Mahomes, had the two picks. The second one, I'm not, he looks like he's trying to force it in there, throws it inside, guy jumps the pass, kind of like a Malcolm Butler-esque play. But it's... As Tony Romo staffed the game, these two in a collision course. Like, it feels like the winner, if these two match up in the playoffs, the winner of that game is going to the Super Bowl. Which, if they match in the AFC Championship game, quite literally, the winner will be going to the Super Bowl. But even if it's in the divisional round, that's what it feels like. But these two folks are are just different. The ability to make plays outside the pocket, make throws in, in the pocket, take hits, throwing the ball under pressure, the arm strength, the accuracy, the leadership by both guys. It, man, I'm telling you, it, it is it is a joy. It is a blast to watch these two. This is what makes games like Thursday night when you get Carson Wentz versus Justin Fields, and then you get Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes. It's like, man, the gap is is like is is the size of of a flight from from Miami to Seattle. I mean, it's that big in terms of uh, of the the gap in quarterback play that we saw in in, in those two games. Uh, Buffalo, by the way, is on their this their bye, so it's a good way. You know, not a down game next week. There's no letdown possibility for the Bills next week. They get a bye week, and then they match up against the Green Bay Packers at home on Sunday night football. But crazy enough, speaking of the Packers and Jets, and I'll talk about that in a second, Jets trail the Bills, the overwhelming Super Bowl favor out in Vegas to get to the Super Bowl out of the AFC. The New York Jets trail them by only one game in the AFC East. It is, that, that, that division is very, very interesting. Buffalo should win it, but it's still interesting. Going to the other games, Niners fell to the Falcons 28-14. Marcus Mariota had a fantastic performance, right throwing for a buck uh, a buck 29, but he went 13 for 14. Couple tu- uh, couple touchdowns. Okay. He ran for a touchdown, ran for 50 yards. Uh, he had a QBR of zero to hundred of ninety-six and a passer rating of one forty-four. He could not have played better. It's probably the best game of Mariota's career in the NFL. Jimmy Garoppolo again, like I said. When you ask Jimmy to have to win you a game, that's when it starts to become a problem. And you saw that yesterday. He threw two picks, had a QBR of 36. Um, If you tell me before the game that Jimmy G's thrown the ball 41 times, I say you're going to lose. You're you're, you're not winning that game. You're not. And Atlanta's defense did a good job. Offense got off to a good start, and they finished it off, doubled them up 28-14. We have a controversy at the quarterback position in Foxborough, Massachusetts. Bailey zappy oh my goodness 24 for 34 309 yards two touchdowns a passer rating of 118 <sighs> makes me want to cry not really but i'm telling y'all I, I listen i tried to tell y'all mac jones ain't that dude out of college i tried to tell y'all for the draft he's not that dude he's got the lowest ceiling of any of the first round quarterbacks from 2021 and you saw that at the end of last year, at the start of this year. And with an offensive supporting cast the folks, I think is about as bad as it gets. Bailey Zappi's making it look like the Kansas City Chiefs up in here. I'm just saying. What can Mac what can Mac Jones do? Is my question that Bailey Zappi can't. I'm just saying, this dude looks legit. I'll tell you that his his poise. The arm talent, the accuracy, the ability to see the field. like A lot of young quarterbacks, and we talked about this with Justin Fields, Ryan Fitzpatrick talked about with Fields, are one-read quarterbacks. He's not. He's the rare rookie that's got his head on a swivel. Now, you could give credit to his quarterback coach, maybe either in college or in the, with the Patriots, but, man, this, this kid looks pretty good. But he's only two starts in. Team's going to get film on him, and then we'll see how he adjusts. But as of right now... I think the best quarterback for the Patriots is the guy who started the season as the third string behind Mac Jones and Brian Hoyer because this kid looks good. Jets beat the Packers. My upset of the week, I called it 27 to 10. I had a, would I, would I have a four point win by the Jets? Again, I keep asking Las Vegas, why do you keep having the Packers a seven or eight point favorites? Why? What have they shown you to be a touchdown favorite, even at home, even at Lambeau, against a Jets defensive line that folks is really good their draft picks from the last two years have been tremendous. Zach Wilson's looked good. They've run the football well. Robert Sala, and I really liked the Robert Sala hiring back in 2021. He's 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 turned this, this organization around. Now, can they make a run in a loaded AFC to get to the playoffs? Who's to say they can't? Who's to say they can't be one of the, the seven best teams and get into the postseason? But a big win at Lambeau. Again, as far as the Packers, there's three groups of people that deserve blame. Aaron Rodgers. For his conservative, not taking a shot down the field play. The receiving unit in Green Bay, which is awful. Alan Lazard on a good day is a number three receiver. Everybody else, come on now. And now they just lost Randall Cobb with an ankle injury. And Matt LaFleur. The fact that, again, the the fact that people were, and I talked about this last week and they lost to the Giants. The fact that they were trying to, people trying to lump this guy in with, with McVeigh. And Shanahan and all the great young coaches is sickening. It is a disrespect to the great game called football that this guy was 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 lumped in that group. He he he's not even on that same level in terms of play calling, in terms of situational awareness. Are we sure he's even an upgrade over his predecessor, Mike McCarthy? I'm not. At least Mike McCarthy got a Super Bowl of Aaron Rodgers. Is Matt Lafleur? It's not going to happen this year. Colts beat the Jaguars. I went back and forth in this game Friday. I did pick at the Colts. Uh, 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 Matt Ryan played very well. 389. You don't don't like Matt Ryan at his advanced age, throwing 58 times. But three touchdowns, QBR of 82, pass ring of 107. Uh, Jaguars got off to a a big lead. I think they were up 14 to three at one point. But the Colts came back, game-winning drive. They beat the Jaguars. Again, I said about Jacksonville coming into the season. They are a six-win team with the majority of their losses being down to the wire close. Thus far, that's that's literally been the case. They're on pace for about six wins, so that's what I felt like. And the Colts sitting there right now at, at first place in the AFC South. Actually, second place because Tennessee's three and two. Colts are three, two, and one. Uh, Vikings, Dolphins uh, took care of business, did Minnesota. Teddy Bridgewater was inserted into the game after an injury to Skylar Thompson just one week after a concussion to him. By all accounts, it looks like Tua is going to make his return next week on Sunday Night Football. Uh, that is going to be very interesting. They're going to be honoring the 72 Dolphins, the only undefeated team in the history of the NFL. Brian Flores, who his old coach, is going to be on the opposite sideline for Pittsburgh. It's going to be a lot of storylines heading that game, to say the very least. Bengals beat the Saints game-winning drive led by Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase with two minutes left in the building that they won the national championship at LSU. Uh, so good win by them. Andy Dalton, I thought, played very well, well enough to where Dennis Allen said after the game, he has not made a decision on who the starting quarterback will be on Thursday between either Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston. And can't say I disagree with him because Andy Dalton has played pretty well uh, in, in that role. Giants beat the Ravens. Giants, folks, are 5-1, and one, and Brian Dable right now is the unanimous coach of the year to me. Uh, when you look at what he's done for Daniel Jones and his improvement, to that, what Wink Martindale has done for that Giants defense, getting his old team back, the Ravens. Saquon Barkley doing what Saquon Barkley always does. Uh, Lamar Jackson, my man. The second time in three weeks that he's made a huge game-losing decision with the ball, being too careless, thrown across his body, cost the Ravens the game against the Giants, who are now 5-1. and one. New York football is back because the Giants and Jets are a combined 9-3. and three. Football's back in the Meadowlands. Steelers upset the, the the Buccaneers. I had Tampa Bay winning by basically four touchdowns. I had them winning by 26 on Friday. Dead wrong about this one. Um, I'll talk more about Tampa on Tuesday when I have more time on them. But, um, yeah, this this is, I don't know if it's the the marital stuff, which is none of my business, or something else. Even It could very well be the fact that Tom Brady is 45 years old. But I don't see the same zip on the ball. He's not moving the pocket as well. I don't see that same accuracy. This is a bad, bad loss for Tampa Bay on the road in Pittsburgh. To a Steelers team that had just gotten beat by five touchdowns. With a rookie quarterback, who got concussed, by the way, and got replaced by Mitch Trubisky. And Pittsburgh still found a way to hang on to the game. Rams beat the Panthers 24-10. to 10. Uh, Robbie Anderson, big story from this game is Robbie Anderson got kicked out of the game by the, his interim head coach Steve Wilkes, uh, which is not a great look. Carolina's a dumpster fire. We know they're going to be doing a yard sale. Matt Stafford is addicted to interceptions. Apparently, he's thrown eight in six games. We'll see where the Rams go from here. The 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 Rams, uh, who who they got next week? The Rams next week got the oh they got a bye week next week, and then they play the 49ers again. That'll be a tough one. Uh, speaking of that division, Seahawks beat the Cardinals nineteen to nine. Geno Smith is looking good. He's looking poised, he's looking confident. The Seahawks offense uh, did not have a great day against Arizona, but Kyler Murray, once again, had another stinker. Uh, desperately need DeAndre Hopkins back, which he will on Thursday night football. That that should be a better game on Thursday than the last two. Pray to God that's the case. Uh, but a big win by the Seattle Seahawks. Now, before I get to my predictions for Broncos-Chargers on Monday night football, Major League Baseball playoffs. By the way, the baseball playoffs this weekend, folks, was wild. Astros win 1 to nothing in 18 innings to sweep the Seattle Mariners. Another last-second win by Houston. Okay, my World Series pick, the Dodgers got upset by the Padres after a 7th inning rally in the in game 4. Great crowd in San Diego, by the way. The defending World Series champion Atlanta Braves We're upset by their division rival, Philadelphia Phillies. It's crazy. It's crazy times in Major League Baseball. The fact that the Padres and the Phillies will play for an opportunity in uh, to to to, to play in the Fall Classic, but uh, once again, in the 21st century, thus far, we will not have a back-to-back World Series champion. It's crazy. This is a long. I think it's the longest streak in baseball history without a back-to-back champion. Uh, and then also you have the Yankees and the Guardians, which play a decisive Game Five tonight. Uh, actually, at the time of this, uh, uh, at the time that you're watching this, the show about first pitch is about ten minutes after the show concludes. So definitely be sure to check that. Winner will face Houston in the ALCS. And so let's just get to my predictions right off the bat. In the ALCS, Houston advancing over Seattle. 106 wins advancing over, the, over their division rival. They will play either the Yankees or the Guardians. Now, either way, because they have the best record in the American League, they will host uh, the series. They will have home field advantage, uh, obviously having games 1-2 and then a possible 6-7 and seven in their home ballpark at Minute Maid Park. When I'm looking at this series, either way, Wait, if the Yankees come in, I say, okay, they're too reliant on the home run ball. Garrett Cole, who, by the way, had a great start last night against the Guardians to keep the Yankees' season alive. If Aaron Judge or Giancarlo Stanton or Anthony Rizzo aren't whacking balls over, over the fence, over that short porch in right field in Yankee Stadium, this bullpen for the Yankees is awful. Blue game two, really blue game three in Cleveland now you just gotta hope they don't tonight. I've got the Guardians winning because I had the Guardians winning in five games before the series started but regardless if you have Cleveland win anything Cleveland can do, Houston can do better. Cleveland gets on base consistently Houston does better. Cleveland has a great bullpen so does the so do the Astros Cleveland has a great rotation so do the Astros. Cleveland has a great manager veteran manager so do the Astros. The difference. Houston has a more explosive offense. And their and their their bullpen has been just as good as Cleveland. So with that said, I think it's it's either way, it's an interesting series. But to me, Houston is the class of Major League Baseball, certainly left in the playoffs. I've got the Astros winning and advancing to yet another World Series. It will be their fourth trip in the last six seasons. They will advance over the Guardians or the Yankees. In six games, moving to the NLCS, which is set the San Diego Padres against the Philadelphia Phillies, the five and six seeds in the National League. You got the Padres coming in having upset two 100 win teams, the Mets and the Dodgers. You had the Phillies coming in, uh, having beat the Cardinals, sending uh, Albert Pujols and sending the idea of Molina into retirement and then upsetting the 100 win defending World Series champion uh, Atlanta Braves. I look at pitching. I look at offense. Philly has been hot since really limping into the playoffs after a rough finish to the regular season. As for the Padres, great finish to the regular season, right? Manny Machado, can't stand him because of what he did to my man, Dusty Pedroia, but Manny Machado's been great. Uh, Juan Soto's been worth every bit of what the Padres gave up for him, as I said he would be. Best trade made in years by the Padres, Uh, really just in Major League Baseball as a whole. The starting pitching's been great. Hugh Darvish has been phenomenal. I think home field advantage does decide it to a certain degree. I think this goes the distance. Give me the San Diego Padres to advance to the World Series without Fernando Tatis Jr. over the Philadelphia Phillies in seven games. So we will, in my opinion, we will get a Astros-Padres World Series. That's what I think is going to happen. So it's going to be interesting without a question. But again, when I look at when I look at Major League Baseball and you have all these upsets going on, you know, it, it, it's it's I, I don't I want to say it's good for the sport. I think it, it certainly maybe helps with the ratings to a certain degree, but it, you know, at the end of the day, you got some of these underdog teams, underdog cities like Philadelphia. Okay, so it, it, you know, it should be fun. It, it should be a great series uh, in, in both both leagues, American and National. But we got a Monday Night Football game tonight, so while with the time we have left, let's go and predict that before we get out of here. AFC West matchup: Broncos, Chargers. Playing for second place, or in the Chargers case, playing for a tie with Kansas City for first place in the AFC West. Denver comes in having lost their last two games in pretty ugly fashion, especially the last game we saw them play when they put us through five quarters of misery against the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, uh, The team that I had winning the Super Bowl, the Broncos, uh, the ride has been anything but smooth. Russell Wilson, I sold my stock on him last week, has been awful. Accuracy's been off, and now you got the injury excuse. He had shoulder surgery. Well, what about his shoulder was healthy? But what about that? Okay, Jamal Williams still out for the Broncos. The, the defense has been great, but there's only so much you can do when you have a, as offenses as inept as Denver does. After, as for the Chargers coming in two-game winning streak, uh, you got Justin Herbert playing really well. Looks like he's more healthy than he was. So I think this comes down the wire. It is to me the battle between the two clueless head coaches, the clue young, uh, the, the two young clueless head coaches, Nathaniel Hackett and Brandon Staley. I will. I say that the initial clue, the original clueless wins out. Give me the Chargers to cover a four and a half point spread over the Denver Broncos, twenty-seven to sixteen. Twenty-seven sixteen. Chargers win this game over the Broncos. Broncos drop to two and four, and the ride just gets rougher for Denver. All right, that is all the time we have for on today's show. Be sure to catch Carving Up live tomorrow. We got an NBA season preview with my man Barry Grant Jr. coming on. I am going to predict the NBA season. Opening night is tomorrow. It's going to be great. My Warriors get get their rings against Barry's Lakers. It is beautiful. It is The world is as it should be. Okay? So, listen. Have a great week. We'll see you all tomorrow on Tuesday. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe to Carving It Up and The Grid. Have a great week, everybody. Stay us safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. Vols be Bama! Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. Be sure to click that big red subscribe button. And go check out the other clips and full shows of Carving It Up Live. Have a blessed day.
1: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino.